Hello and welcome to the PRSB podcast. We know that standards for information sharing and care records are vital for the future of high quality health and care. To realise the benefits and value of these standards, it's really important they're put into action. Today I'm here with our Vice Chair and Chief Clinical Information Officer from Cambridge University Hospital Trust, Dr Afsal Traudry. He's here to talk about his own experiences with information sharing and offer his tips and advice for other organisations. Hi, Afsal. So we know that you've been implementing RE Discharge Summary Standard and Emergency Department Discharge Summary Standard for almost two years. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've put in place? Yes, indeed. So we have taken the, the PRSB standards and have done quite a lot of work both with our own clinicians and with our GP colleagues in order to implement the the standards in a consistent way. And it it has been quite a journey for us in that it's impossible to make these changes quickly and easily with all of the clinical teams and expect to get a consistent result across the board. We we first started even, even before two years ago with a structured template for our discharge summaries in the system that we have which is a system called epic from the u.s and what we found was that many of the teams just used that template as the default and were quite happy to do so but a number of teams were were really entrenched with the typical discharge summaries that they'd sent historically and in fact just deleted the template and wrote their own summaries now now the content of those summaries were were fine from a clinical perspective in that they had the relevant and important content in them but they did lack the structure they did lack that consistency and certainly the feedback from the GPs was that it was hard on occasions to pick out from those summaries what was the important diagnosis for the patient, what was the hospital going to do next, what the GP was being asked to do next. And in terms of delivering sort of consistent and particularly timely care for the patient, that, that difficulty often led to communication breakdowns. And we used to see a not infrequent number of phone calls from GPs to our primary care liaison office to say, what exactly does this mean? Is the hospital going to do this or are, we, are you expecting me as the GP to do this? So in, in the early part of 2017, we, we spent some time reconfiguring the system so that it was a much more structured completion tool. So there were individual boxes for doctors to complete um, aligned with the headings. And as they completed it sec- each section, it went from being red in colour to green in colour. So they were given visual indicators as, as their progress through the documentation. And what we found then is that we've achieved even more consistency and we certainly got to that place where the GPs receive a document that is consistently structured in the same way each time. Now there are still some behavioural and change management issues to address in that we do sometimes see some doctors taking all of the content that perhaps should be spread across four or five boxes and writing it as one giant paragraph in one of the boxes. So again the content is there but the structure is lost. Um, We do see some doctors particularly when they're pressed for pressure of service Um, writing very little Um, so you can still have a beautifully structured document but the content may be lacking so you know there are there there are real professional issues here about how you generate a quality document And, and often the the approach that I take when I talk to the junior staff is to say if you were the patient or it were one of your relatives, what sort of discharge documentation would you want to see as that as your relative is sent home from the hospital and their care is transferred to the GP? But coming back to the more structured tool that we have, what we do see now is um, 
as I say, much more consistent. Um, the new doctors coming through that have not have been trained with that and have never known anything else are particularly good at, at completing it well. And this has all been reflected in a reduction of uh, phone calls to our primary care liaison office. I think one thing to, to add is that it was really important that we worked with our general practitioners in setting up the structure of the, the summary. Whilst the PRSB headings describes which, which ones are mandatory, which ones are nice to have and which ones are sort of truly optional, it, the standards also say that it's up to local engagement as to how you sequence those sections within a document and I think that is important. Um, the hospital and our local CCGs has a joint trust GP liaison committee and as we were refining the discharge summaries we we took those refinements to them to say are you happy with this do we need to change it and and in a similar way going a little bit beyond um, primary care because discharge summaries also get sent to other institutions so for example patients going home from hospital to a, a, a palliative care institution for terminal care will also receive a copy of the discharge summaries we had conversations with uh, that were facilitated by one of our associate directors of nursing with social care and with um, community services and with the, the sort of um, hospices and other similar institutions around us to say what what were the um, content of the summary that they would like to see as well um, and in that way what we've built up over time and it, it has evolved it, it, it certainly is hasn't been a, a a one change and that's it forever um, it has evolved over time so we built up a a document that we feel is clinically meaningful is clinically safe it supports the gps in the care for the patients and supports other workflows as well you've touched on some of the challenges there um but what would your advice be to other organizations who are trying to implement standards i I think there are a number of aspects to it so as i say first of all it is important that the hospital and primary care work together on this um it's no good creating a beautiful summary from a hospital perspective if when you send it out it isn't of any use to the people who are receiving it. And uh, it, one of the challenges is that so often historically documents like discharge summaries have tried to be different things to different people, um, something for the nurse, something for the GP, something for the hospital itself. And actually I don't believe that it is possible to satisfy everybody all of the time with one single document so that does need some careful consideration i think i think there is a piece for your own hospital staff Um, uh, it's winter time now the hospitals are very busy Um, it's perhaps not quite as terrible as it was this time last year but 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 even in the summertime that that there's not much let up from pressure of service and it's important to recognize that with other targets within the nhs that sometimes completing documentation which which whilst everybody recognizes is a really really important thing but that doesn't always get the priority that it deserves and i think working with clinical staff whether it's doctors or nurses or pharmacists or whoever to explain and reiterate the clinical safety and importance of the documents and how having that structured template actually helps you because it means that you get consistency you you get into a habit of how do i frame the 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 content of what i need to put into a document is, is very helpful but that does take time that takes time to go and talk to your junior medical staff it takes time to to get all of the senior medical staff to buy into that that content many of them say well i've been sending discharge summaries that are sort of short and to the point for years and i haven't talked about allergies and i haven't always talked about medication and so on 
Um, so I think that's important. I think the other piece that's important is about understanding that not all patients are the same in hospital. So, for example, there's a difference between somebody coming for a day case procedure and somebody who's been in hospital for 30 or 40 days. And somebody coming for a day case procedure doesn't necessarily need to have every single one of their medicines reviewed, both coming in and going out. You, you could take a view which we did, which was we're only going to report on the medicines that we have changed during this hospital stay because they've only been with us for six hours. Um, and again, we agreed that with our primary care colleagues so that their expectations and what they actually received were consistent. So there... The, the technology bit actually is the easiest bit. Um, it, you know, as with so often the case, it's about um, changing, the changing the culture. And we did, to begin with, saw examples of the forms were there for people to fill in and they chose not to. Not because they didn't like the forms, not because they didn't think it was an important thing to do, but because um, we hadn't invested enough time in supporting them, in helping them to understand this is a quick way to fill it in. For those, um, particularly, say, surgeons, for example, doing doing the same sort of day case procedure repeatedly over time, um, there are tools within the system that allows them to fill in three quarters of that summary very, very quickly with a few clicks. And, and that's where the technology should be used to support them in doing the right thing, rather than, um, if you like, becoming a, a, a block or a, a slightly convoluted way of them doing the right thing. Yeah, exactly. So I think some um, clinicians can perhaps feel it's a little bit of a sort of clerical exercise, where actually it's vital... Um, for good health care and to deliver quality health care. Yeah, um, But with information sharing in general, um, what do you think are kind of the biggest barriers in terms of the workforce understanding it? So, I mean, like getting the message across um, that this is so important. Certainly, we, I mean, we have a number of elements of information sharing in, in our system, so of which discharge summaries is just one part of that. Um, we, we, we do have a mechanism that allows us to share data with um, West Suffolk Hospital, which is about 20 or 30 miles to the east of us, and they have a Cerner system, and as I said earlier, we have EPIC. And what we've seen with, with, with that system is that being able to share information in real time where I can access a patient's West Suffolk record within approximately sort of 30 seconds of pressing a button within our system has absolutely saved us uh, both time, um, efficiency, has delivered better care for the patient. So we have stories of patients avoiding unnecessary repeat tests. We have uh, some of those tests may be CT scans, for example, which would expose the patient to unnecessary radiation. I personally had a patient admitted under my care uh, one Saturday night from West Suffolk with a with a significant kidney problem but because I could see so much of that West Suffolk information instantly I was able to say actually we don't need to give them the the nasty more toxic medication that might have been needed if their condition was running out of control but because I had evidence that the condition was coming under control we could give them less aggressive medication and in fact we were able to discharge them two days earlier uh, and we so there are repeated examples of that of that or uh, efficiency, safety. And it, it, there's also a confidence issue in there. The patients themselves say we have much greater confidence in the wider healthcare system knowing that you are sharing data safely, securely, appropriately in order to, to benefit us. And so often it's the case that patients have just assumed that we were doing that before and, and quite often are shocked when we say, well, actually, you know, up until, you know, X many months ago, we couldn't do this. Uh, 
What we have seen, though, with that is as we start to share information back and forth, so the importance of the documentation standards comes through because it then becomes even more important that doctors, for example, are documenting in a consistent manner. So historically, doctors in Cambridge might have been documenting in a way that everybody in Cambridge understood but wasn't necessarily transparent to people in other hospitals. And some of that was, if you like, masked by the fact that when we sent a discharge summary, that did bring some rigour to it. But now that doctors in West Suffolk Hospital, with a touch of a button, can see what we're doing on a day-to-day basis in Cambridge, it's important that we start to have a structure that not only is meaningful to us in Cambridge, but is meaningful to the doctors in West Suffolk and vice versa. And I think as we start to see information sharing across more hospitals with general practitioners where there's this real-time data sharing. So the importance of having consistency is it comes through. There's a real difference between saying this patient has a personal history of diabetes or a family history of diabetes or they used to have diabetes and it's now been cured by a pancreas transplant. And in my own practice, I see all of those three examples. And we have on occasions in our hospital certainly seen examples of where mistakes have been made with a patient's care because the wrong bit of information has been in the wrong section of their notes and and that has led to to misunderstandings and confusion and certainly medication is is a real challenge in that in that setting what are the dangers do you think of not having the right information at the right time it's often easy to imagine that the care that we deliver to patients is, is always the best that we can do. And certainly there are circumstances where you won't know anything about a patient. So, for example, an unconscious trauma patient brought to a, a, any hospital, the clinicians will, will work with what information that they have, what tests they have, as and when they know that information. But at the same time, we know that patients suffer all sorts of harm within the NHS due to a lack of information and sometimes that relates to having operations done in a way that where that operation isn't necessarily the correct operation it might involve an operation um, affecting the wrong part of the body and and whilst these are so-called NHS never events that are never supposed to happen and whilst there have been work such as the WHO checklist that has been introduced to help bring a lot more rigour to those circumstances there is still a steady trickle of these throughout the wider NHS. Um, I myself recently was was asked to see a kidney patient um, urgently and the patient was very anxious because he had been told that he only had half the kidney function that he should have. And when he came to see me and I was examining him and I said to him, what's this scar on your, your abdomen? And he said, well, that's where my kidney was taken out. So I said to him, well, you know, so just to be clear, you've only got one kidney and your kidney function is half of what it would be if you've got two kidneys. And he said, yes. And I said, well, that's great. Everything's fine then. Now, it all seems like a slightly silly story and it, it all turned out really well. Yet that poor patient had suffered at least a week of extreme anxiety of my kidney function is half what it should be, what's going on with my kidneys? Yeah. And and that's not a minor thing. Um, oh, with, we, indeed, indeed. And to be fair, we thought his second kidney might have a problem until we were able to understand more. Yeah. So so I think these things are important. And then I think, you know, with medication, 
there's a whole raft of issues. So we know that every year a number of patients in the NHS die from allergies where that allergy was known to somebody else in the NHS. Uh, and, and that really ought not to be happening in 2019. Uh, we, we know in our system, uh, in a typical year, that roughly speaking about 8,000 times a year a doctor changes a prescription based on the allergy-based decision support that's in the system. So they were going to prescribe a drug and the system popped up a box saying, please don't do that. Uh, And therefore they changed what they were going to do. So that is a significant benefit. Uh, And equally, the converse is true that not sharing that information is a real risk to the patient. And so then you come on to the whole concept of medicine reconciliation and the fact that within the NHS, we don't have a good means of sharing data about medication and allergies reliably from primary care GPs into hospitals, secondary care, and then back again. And there's a lot of work underway to do that. Um, We're involved and working with that in Cambridge, but I know many other hospitals are too. And, And I think if I could fix one single thing within the NHS, that would be the thing that I would focus on, which is the safe transfer of the patient's medication and allergy history to the hospital as the patient is admitted, a proper understanding in the hospital of what's happened, and then as the patient is discharged back to the GP, again, that safe transfer of structured, coded uh, drug data and allergy data back to the GP. And, and by doing that, you'd, you'd, you'd have massively improved safety. There would be efficiencies around the supply of medication. There would be efficiencies around the particular formulation of medication used. And, and taken at a, a sort of system-wide scale, that would bring both... Um, as I say, safety, timeliness, and also efficiency savings for the NHS. And, and the piece that I would like to add on top of that would be that as technology goes forward and patients themselves are being given access to their record, having the patient review their own medication I think is also important. Yeah. Um, it's somewhat naive of doctors to believe that every time they prescribe a medication for a patient and then plan to see them again in clinic in, say, three months' time, that the patient is consistently taking that medication assiduously day after day all the way through that three months. And, and what the patients are supposed to be taking and what they're actually taking are not always the the same thing. Reducing the number of um, routine outpatient appointments is part of the newly published NHS long-term plan. Um, Do you think standards such as our outpatient letter standard can help us to better manage these outpatient appointments? I I think so. I think there are a number of ways to, to tackle this, if you like. So some of the new plan talks about patients having access to online GPs or technology enabled GPs in a slightly more, um, for want of a better phrase, remote way than the classical relationship with their with their current GPs. So I think standards are important there because those GPs will need to access data in perhaps the host GPs system or in a hospital system and if you don't have those standards then you're going to get the same issues that I alluded to before where there may be some misunderstanding about the patient's past history uh, and, it, and it's it's very easy to for that to cause problems. I think the second thing is that uh, if you're going to move to a model whereby there are fewer outpatient consultations in a hospital, then that care has to be replaced by an alternative model. And that might be a model in the patient's home or or nearer to the patient's home. And that model, even if it stays within the hospital, but certainly out in the community, might well be replaced by 
where a doctor would have done the work in a hospital. It might be a specialist nurse or um, a community worker who's been appropriately trained taking on that role. Now, as, as you move care across different professional grades and different professional types, and you move it from one institution to another, it's all the more important then that everybody understands the same phrases, the same terms, um, structured in that same way in order to achieve that safety element. And you'll also want to have information fed back to the hospital. So, for example, if I reflect on my work as a, as a renal transplant physician, when we see patients in the, in the transplant clinic, there are certain things that doctors will want to know and there'll be certain things that our nurses will want to know. I, for a long time, I've often wanted to go into the waiting room in the transplant clinic and say, if everybody, everybody who feels well, please put your hand up. And then when they put their hand up, I say, go and have your blood test taken and we'll call you tomorrow if there's a problem. And, and just send the patients home because actually the majority of them are well and it's a very um, repetitive sort of templated type consultation and that immediately lends itself to uh, work done in the community or perhaps even remote review using a technology enabled system but if that work is done in the community it's still important that I as the transplant physician get that data fed back to me so that I can be confident over time that it's okay for the patient to perhaps have one visit with the hospital on an annual basis and have two or three remote reviews out in the community. But what I don't want to happen is for that information, for the patient to be seen out in the community and for those people in the community to perhaps misinterpret some of the information that they're seeing and keep that patient in the community inappropriately. So it's really about saying you use standard structured documentation to make sure that those patients who are safe and can be absolutely cared for in the community can be done so. And then we all become much more educated as a healthcare system about prioritising who needs to come back to the hospital, either for an earlier review or a later review, based on the information that you gather. And, and whilst on occasions people say, well, why do we have to structure that documentation in that way? What we also need to remember is when we send a patient to theatre for an operation, there's a whole series of structured documentations that are undertaken and doctors don't bat an eyelid at that they think that's the norm so in a way what we need to do is to make the use of these same structured headings the norm for this outpatient care this community care this transfer of care because then generations of of clinical professionals will grow up with that as the norm and won't think anything of it and and in doing so the norm will become good quality transferred care shared amongst a whole range of professionals and locations as opposed to it all has to be done in the hospital because that's the only way we can be absolutely sure it's safe. Yeah exactly I think that goes back to your earlier point about changing the mindset almost of everybody who's working within health and social care to understand the real importance and the real significance of sharing records I mean it can help save lives so it's really about getting that message across to people. And certainly from a patient perspective whilst they talk about something becoming the norm if you're the patient you would expect that to be the norm anyway. None of us book a online holiday to France and then the next time we log in suddenly discover that we're going to Italy and in the same way if, if you've come in because you've had a chest infection you don't want the person turning up at your house to, to deliver your after hospital care saying well I've come to look at your heart or I've come to talk about your kidneys um, and occasionally that happens 
And I think it's something that we all need to reflect upon as, as care professionals of that's not what we're aiming to be. Nobody comes to work wanting to do a bad job. So really what we need to do are use the, the structures and the support mechanisms that mean that we're able to do a good job every time for everybody. Absolutely. And then, so looking forward to the future, what do you think the next key steps are going to be and what should be the key focuses? I think there are a number of things. One aspect of it, obviously, is about involving the patient. Um, I think that patients have a number of concerns, some, some of which we've alluded to already, relating to we thought you were doing this anyway or why aren't you already doing this but at the same time the other side of that is that patients feel some anxiety around who's accessing my data what's the security around my data and I think one of the ways that you you give confidence is you let patients a have access to their own data which is is obviously right but also let the patients have an understanding of who who in their care team or who in the local health economy is accessing their data and if they can see that Dr Chowdhury at Cambridge looked at their data and they can say well I have confidence that he should have been looking at my data and equally if they see people appearing there where that's not right then they can have some legitimate concerns that can be addressed but I think from a, certainly from my perspective as a, as, a, as a clinician in a hospital, I think one of the really crucial things now is getting some even more rigour into what we're recording about our patients. When I meet with my junior doctors as each set of junior doctors starts the hospital, we, we talk to them about recording the most accurate and granular piece of clinical information that they know about that patient based on their level of skill and training and expertise. And that enables us to provide additional support, not only for them, but for other staff in the hospital through clinical decision support tools. But that is predicated, it's based on us having a consistent way of recording information, not only in how we record it, but what the content is. So by that I mean is when I say that somebody's had pneumonia, that that means the same when you say somebody's had pneumonia or when their GP says that somebody's had pneumonia and that that we're all calling pneumonia the same thing and in the same way. We need to recognise that as we start to share data going back and forth that different people will have different perspectives on the record. So, for example, if I see a patient who has a kidney problem but who also happens to have had an orthopaedic knee knee replacement... The information about their knee replacement that comes from the orthopaedic team will be much more accurate and important than the information about their knee replacement that I might write as a kidney doctor. And it isn't the case that seniority necessarily is the same as expertise. So I, as a senior kidney doctor, will know less orthopaedics than a registrar in orthopaedics. And we need to recognise that as we start to record information that we need to, to train clinicians in... What are, what are the properties of a good diagnosis? So how did you come to that diagnosis? How confident are you of that diagnosis? What's the underpinnings of that diagnosis? Is, did that come from a specialist or a non-specialist? Is that diagnosis still current? Um, certainly when I've asked a number of my oncologists and have given them case scenarios of patients with different types of cancer and say, after how long is this patient considered to be cured... And everybody gives a slightly different answer. Some say three years, some say five years, some say ten years, some say never. You're never cured of your cancer. It's just in remission and under control. Now, 
we need to have some consistency there. And that guidance, I think, has to come from the work that has been done by PRSB in conjunction with the Health Informatics Unit at the Royal College of Physicians, working with the other Royal Colleges to start to provide that professional guidance. So that we then end up with PRSB standards around the structure of documents that are standards, but you also now start to have some professional guidance as to what the content of the document should be as well. And when you start to bring both of those elements together, that's where I think you'll start to see really significant advances in, in, as I say, decision support tool, predictive algorithms that can be really built on good quality data. And if we don't have good quality data, then our outcomes will be poor because, in effect, you're building your house on sand. And, and the underpinnings have to be good if you're going to go further forward. Thank you very much. Thank you.